Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osby. I'm here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our dap today, Masachi Kutubot, dap hey, page five. So we're going to have, this dap starts with kind of a bizarre discussion. And I think if we can sort of get past the bizarreness of it, and it may be difficult for people to do, because um, there's a crudeness to it, and I think sort of a old school mentality towards what actually happened, you know, when you marry a virgin, um, but it's framed in terms of Hilchot Shabbat. And we're going to see some of the terminology that we've seen before in Hilchot Shabbat. Um, but I do find it's interesting because when we get to, um, you know, discussions about Hilchot Shabbat and the concept of unintended consequences, right? I wouldn't say this is the Gemara that gets quoted to illustrate it. And I think there's a reason why. <laughs> Probably... Most people are a little uncomfortable with it. And I think it's hard to tell. Is this just sort of like an intellectual exercise that's going on here? Did Chazal really mean what's going on here? So, I, you know, I'm saying this is the modern learner. Definitely this Gemara gives me a little pause. So we're actually going to start right the last three words on the bottom of Amud, uh, of Dalit Amud Bet. I'm a Rabbi Zera. So Rabbi Zera says, Mishum Cheshbonot, right? So what they're, well, actually, let me start a little bit before here. I'm Amar. So that brisa that we quoted before, right, that talked about that the groom, uh, it, that, that a groom cannot have, um, uh, you know, sec- have his first sexual relationship with a bitula, right? Um, uh, e- right, either either on, uh, neither on, uh, you know, Friday night on that first night of Shabbat itself and not a Motzei Shabbat. So on Arab Shabbat, meaning, you know, Friday night, we understand that because of this issue of, of Chaburah, making a wound, right? That when that, the hymen would be broken, that's basically creating a wound. But then what's the problem after Shabbat? I'm a Rabbi Zeris, so Rabbi Zeris says, So he says it's due to calculations. In other words, if, you know, he would, uh, there's something about it that he's going to be preoccupied. Like, let's say they were to get married, Motzei Shabbat, he would be sort of preoccupied with getting ready for the wedding on Shabbat itself, and that that would be a problem because we don't consider that to be something that you should do on Shabbat. Amr Le'abai. So Abai says to Rabbi Zerah, Who said that doing calculations for mitzvah, right? It's not actually doing the mitzvah. It's more like thinking about the mitzvah itself, Right. Uh, it is prohibited on Shabbat. And so now he's going to give a list of things that you're allowed to sort of prepare for, think about on Shabbat for the sake of a mitzvah. So Rav both said, right? One is allowed to make calculations. Again, I don't know. And do you have a better translation for cheshbonot? It literally means calculations, but it's sort of like, Accounting, maybe? Yeah, or like the mental preparations, kind of, or thinking out what you need to do for a mitzvah, okay? But I'm a Rabbi Elazar, and Rabbi Elazar says, right? You can allocate charity for the poor in Shabbat, right? But I'm a Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Yochanan, right? One is allowed to go to synagogue, to a shul, or to a study hall, to supervise matters that are going to affect, like, the rabbim on Shabbat. In other words, you can deal with communal matters on Shabbat. 
mifachim pikuach nefesh b'shabbat. Right? You can do pikuach nefesh on Shabbat. In other words, there's a category of things that you can do. One thing I'm not completely clear of, I think it's more the like thought or the preparation. It's not doing an actual something that's mechalel Shabbat, but you can do what you need to do to get ready to do something that is for a mitzvah on Shabbat. So Rav Shmuel Bar Nachmani says the name Rav Yochanan, one is allowed to go to theaters. This one was very interesting to me. Or circuses to supervise matters affecting uh, the Rabbi Man Shabbat. In other words, what these were were basically like non-Jewish gatherings where either Jews were sort of like kidnapped or brought towards. And, uh, you know, or, like in other words, things happened in the non-Jewish world that could affect an individual Jew or the Jewish community. And one was allowed to attend those events on Shabbat to make sure that they could prevent like something bad happening either to an individual Jew or to the Jewish community at large. So that, that's very interesting. But Tana Tabay Menashia, and then the sage of the school Menashia taught, right? Somebody can do Shiduchim of a young girl on Shabbat. Excuse me. Um, and uh, also a young boy can be taught on Shabbat and he actually can be taught like a craft, actually. So in other words, there seems to be that there's a certain type of activity, uh, of preparation, uh, of thinking, of planning that is allowed to take care take place on Shabbat. So the question is, why couldn't you do these cheshbonot for the first mitzvah of Bia with a married couple on Shabbat itself, you know, in preparation for that act to happen on Motzei Shabbat? Ella, I'm a Rabbi Zera. So Rabbi Zera says, Gezer Shama So Rabbi Zera says, so it's a decree that maybe somebody would actually slaughter, right? Would actually do, really be Mechalel Shabbat on Shabbat itself because they would make a feast on Motzei Shabbat. Amr le so Abayi says to him, El me'ata, Yoma Kippurim, Shachaliyo B'Sheni B'Shabbat Yitzchak. Right? So what does he say? That if Yom Kippur occurs on a Monday, right? Uh, when we, it should be postponed if you're fixing the calendar. And again, why? Because uh, you are going to, you know, Gezer Shami Yishchot Benok, because you're going to have to eat on Sunday, right? In other words, you're going to fast on Monday. You have to eat on Sunday. And um, a- a- and that's going to be a problem, right? Right? Because maybe then you're going to prepare for your feast on Sunday then. Right? So there, when we're talking about Yom Kippur, right? He's not really preoccupied. This isn't would be something that you would be Mechalel Shabbat about. But here for a wedding feast, you're feeding other people. You're going to be preoccupied. Right. So here in the case of the wedding, uh, sorry. So also we could say, right, that on Yom Kippur, he has an interval of time. He still could prepare that on Sunday itself. But for a wedding that's going to take place or festivities that's going to take place right after Shabbat, he doesn't actually have time. And then it goes on to say, so now that we have this understanding of this prohibition of, against marrying on the, you know, against Shabbat, right? So then also, you know, this issue about Shabbat evening, right? Maybe it's also that you would slaughter something on Shabbat itself. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to keep reading, but it's interesting to see how they're going to 
phrase a lot of this uh, in terms of a, a, a discussion about, you know, uh, about Hilchot Shabbat itself. And then at the end of the DAF, and this is not the part that I'm going to read, they get into a very, very detailed discussion about what exactly is the issue of this Chabura, of this wound that takes place if there was a sexual act itself on Shabbat itself. Um, and is this really considered to sort of be um, a, uh, you know, we get back to that original machloket uh, that we had between Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda of Davar She'ino Mitzkabein, right? Are you allowed to do something that you didn't intend to do or can you not do something that you didn't intend to do? So I, I you know, I, I, so the beginning of the top and the end of the top, I just read the beginning part of the top, right? They're setting up this whole issue really based on different issues about uh, Hilcho Shabbat, right? Like maybe there's an issue about preparing food that you're going to come to do shechita. The end of the daf is going to frame it in terms of Davar Shein Omitzkaven, which we saw many times in Hilcho Shabbat. Again, I see, especially that end of the Gemara, it's not a comfortable Gemara to read. I don't know if this is an intellectual exercise or did Chazal actually really believe this or are they just trying to be like, let's play around with the concept of Davar Shein Omitzkaven and, and see how it applies to Hilchot Shabbat. I don't know whether playing around is exactly right, but it seems to me that it's that, right? Meaning that once we've got concepts of halacha that they're that are, you know, strong in one area, the question of how they might be relevant to another area, I feel like that's Chazal's job. Like they have to they have to explore right. that. So once you're gonna say it's issue about Shabbat, they have to explain why is it an issue on Shabbat? And they do that with a lot of detail. All right, exactly. now I'm handing it off to you. Okay, so I am moving to the very bottom of Ahmed Alf, going on to Ahmed Bet. We have some Agarata, which is brought in the name of Barkapara. And your Dana, you and I in preparation said, you know, why 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 is this piece of Agarata here? And the easy answer is because Barkapara is mentioned in the halachic discussion further up on Ahmed Alf. So this is a piece of Agarata brought in his name, and sometimes that is the only connection. We'll talk about perhaps a, a stronger connection after we've discussed actually what this Agarata says. Darish Barkapara. So the position is that what the actions or what the tzadikim, the righteous people will do, is greater even than the creation of heavens and earth. The, the, when it comes to the discussion of heaven and earth, uh, there's a verse from Isaiah, the prophet Yeshayahu, where he says, my hand um, also laid the foundation of the earth. My right hand spanned the heavens. So the the discussion of the activity or the the work of the hands of the righteous people, there's a verse from Sefer Shmot that says, that the Gemara here brings to say, the place which you, meaning you, God, have made for yourself to dwell in, God, the Mishkan, that your hands, the people's hands have established. Meaning when we're talking about the Beit HaMikdash itself, the temple or its predecessor, the Mishkan, the tabernacle, then we're talking about Masay Yidei Adam. We're talking about the handiwork of people and hands is there written in the plural as opposed to talking about Shemaim Va'aretz where the hands of God are sometimes presented in the singular, right? And the idea here is that 
the 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 acclaim given to the handiwork of people is even greater. Hashiv Bavli Achad Rabbi Chiyashmo. So there's a Babylonian. His name is Rabbi Chia, and he answered this, right? And meaning it's he's coming with a kind of to to ask a question here to to push against it. And what about this idea that when we say God's hand formed the dry land, which is a verse from Tehillim, um, chapter 95, Mizmor 95, um, it says, it says, it's written, but the, it's, um, it's, so here we have, a, we should take a moment to say there's something in, Anytime we're dealing with psukim, biblical verses, we have something called a kri or ktiv. Sometimes the way the word is read and the way the word is written is different. So the word is written, his hand. But it's then read, yadav. I had, I had read it, yadav. That's the way we pronounce it. That's the way um, the text presents it, to read it, yadav. But in the text of the Navi, it's, uh, the, I'm sorry, it's not Navi, it's Tehillim, it says yado. But that's not how we read it. And it's written in the plural of the verb, right? The, the his hands, the two hands fashioned the, the dry land. So we also talk about God's hands in plural. That's the point here. So Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak says, oh, the plural there meant the fingers, not the hands. It should have been about the fingers, and the fingers would be multiple because even on one hand you have more than one fingers. And and there's a verse here again in Talmud chapter Mizmor eight, um, where it says, "When I see your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars that you have established." So then, and there's some back and forth here, right? Where the Gemara says, you know, here it's plural, here it's singular, here we can explain it fine, and then Bar Kapara has, you know. Perhaps the final word here. Darash bar kapara, my dictiv vayatetiye lecha al azinecha. What does it mean when it says you'll have a peg, azinecha, amongst your web weaponry? This is in Tavarim chapter 23, Deuteronomy. Altikri azinecha, ela al aznecha. Don't read it as your weapons, but read it your ear. Meaning that's the two, if you vocalize the word slightly differently, you get a dramatically different meaning. That if a person doesn't, if a person hears something that is not appropriate to hear, what they should do is they should stick their fingers in their ears, which is like a peg, right? Which is the discussion of the of the verse itself. If you have a peg among your weapons, um, if you have a peg in your ear, and we can reread the verse to be something totally different. And of course, then, you know, this is a recommendation for how to handle things that you should know better than to hear. So, why do we have the fingers of a person? Like, why do they look like pegs to begin with? Avida, if you want to say that they're each separate from each other and each one has its own purpose, right? And then there's a whole long discussion here, and we're gonna leave this aside of what each thing does in which each finger is designated to do in the Beit Hamikdash, right? We've talked about this when we've been, you know, very in the thick of what was happening in the temple. So you know, you get a fistful of the meal offering, and the the pinky is used. Um, 
to measure like it's all it's all for measurements of the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol, etc. So then the Gemara answers, say why are they made like pegs? Because you can stick your fingers in your ears. And I find this to be a very um comical. Is it a little bit comical? Of a, it, it's of a almost free... like it's almost like childish, like the way like if you've ever disciplined like a preschool kid and he doesn't want to hear what he or she doesn't want to hear what you have to say, and they sort of like stick their fingers in their ears, you know, to be like, Yeah, I'm just not gonna listen to you. That's right, this, exactly. That's what this Gemara sort of reminded me of. <laughs> and and the, and so that's what it says. Tan Rabbanan Al Yashmiu Adam La Oznav Dvarim Betilim Mipne Shahin Nechiot Tchilal Avarim. And it says a, a person should a, a person should not allow his ears to hear, you know, I don't know, wasteful silly things, whatever. And the idea being that they're gonna the ears are sensitive and it's gonna be the first kind of your first defense. Okay, so now, of course, we want to unpack it, and we're not going to have enough time to unpack everything. But the question of what is this doing here, I think, remains a good one. Um, and Bar Kapara himself, you know, it, it might be that it really is just a link to his identity, that he talks about halacha, now he's talking agarata. But I think that this discussion of heavens and earth, right, like what the righteous people do, being even greater than the creation of heavens and earth, following on the heels of a discussion of Shabbat, which we talk about as commemorating Masay Breshit, right? That it is a commemoration of the creation of the world or a recognition of that in our lives. And then to say, well, the righteous people are going to, the, the deeds of the righteous people is even greater, or specifically Masaya Dehem, like the, the actions of their hands. And now we're going to talk about taking specifically our hands or our fingers, as the case may be, and sticking them in our ears to protect us as righteous people from the the evil that might, you know, enter our brains otherwise. I feel like somehow it's all really put together. And I say we should unpack this slower at a different time. But I feel like the discussion here kind of is an embellishment on what is admittedly a side point, your Dana, in what you've read, but it's still kind of there because of the Shabbat discussion, I think. I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb. I think it's like placed very, if we want to do a literary exercise of the DAP, and this may be true or not true, but you sort of have these two kind of disturbing discussions about Hilchot Shabbat, again, to the modern learner you know, right beforehand and right after this Agatha, particularly the one after the Agatha about, you know, uh, you know, right, an unintentional act. And I think in a way like this, Agatha kind of tries to elevate it in a way, right? Like we're talking about Shabbat and Shabbat is so important. And what's the relationship between like, you know, our, our handiwork and God's handiwork? Like it's, I think it's in a way trying to elevate like, you know, the details of what's kind of not such a pleasant discussion on the job itself. But maybe and I'm I being, think maybe I'm being too generous. I don't know. I think also this idea of the righteousness, right? Like that's the focus, I think, of the Agata to, to pay attention to how great the righteous are and what people need to do to be able to be righteous. Right. Which, again, I agree with you. Like there's some elevation going on here in terms of what's otherwise a fairly gritty kind of discussion of halacha. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hydra website. 
Let us know what you thought about this app on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.